Yeah, hello, uh, dirt, trees, mud. <laughs> Hear this story and you'll also be gaining knowledge when you listen to it on how to do these things. I realized that like my concern was really just what people were going to think of my decision and oh my god she's crazy what is she doing she's not you know she's supposed to be pursuing a career this is when she's supposed to be finding a job and I that doesn't appeal to me that never appealed to me. Play a major role in spreading the love and the joy and uh, reducing our imprint you know for for future generations and for all that we share this planet with. I was just embarrassed. I felt like I couldn't do it, like I had already failed. I had no idea what I was doing. What did I get myself into? What was I thinking? Our history of humanity really revolves around great people. And that's, that's all we know about. And why is that? It's because the insignificant people weren't important enough that somebody would take the time to document their life. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome to the Unruly Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Otto, and I'm so excited to have you here. We have a rad guest today, and I don't want to ramble on too much because I want to get you into this life-giving interview. But I gotta say, I have been just, you know, diving into books lately. Because for someone who loves travel and adventure, it gets harder to do when you're living in a global pandemic. And, you know, I'm here in North Carolina. It's getting cold outside, so I feel like I'm not going on waterfall and hiking adventures as much. You might actually hear the wood stove um, (laughs) burning in the background of this intro. And so, yeah, I've been diving into books. And... I just put up a video on my Instagram of some books that I'm recommending. I'm really getting into queer anarchist fiction, and it's just been hitting the spot for me. Um, I also read a book called Dirt Witch, and the writer, the author, the creator of this incredible book is who we're going to talk to today. So, just know that all of the information that you need to know about our author and her book are going to be in the show notes. And speaking of books... I wanted to let you know that The Art of Unruly Travel on a Budget, your vegan-friendly, queer-friendly budget travel guide to the USA that can also be applied to other places outside of the USA, is up on my website. My book that I wrote can be bought, and you can hold it in your hands and flip through the pages and highlight and underline and all of the things. So if you go to the link in the show notes, um, it'll take you to my website where you can find my book. And you can get an ebook or the hard copy, and I will ship it out to you ASAP. And my book is always sold on a sliding scale. And if you can't afford anything on the sliding scale, please let me know, and we'll get you a copy anyway. And right now, I have a two-for-one deal going, so two books for the price of one. Um, because I know the holiday season is here. And I'm not someone who's like, consume, consume, buy things. But I am someone who does like to give meaningful gifts, and that's usually a book that I've used, I've already read, that I want to pass on to someone, um, something I've made someone, a letter, something like that. So if you are someone like that who likes to give gifts like that, um, I put this deal, the sale, up on the website for you on my book so that you can get a copy for yourself and a copy for your friend at a reasonable price. Um, 
So yeah, who doesn't love a good book club or a good book share, you know? And the other thing that I wanted to tell you regarding holiday seasons and spending money and all of these things that are just like so overwhelming is that I'm really encouraging everyone this year to A, either give a gift that's used or that you made or that if you must buy something because, you know, you bought it locally um, and you know who made it and you know where the materials came from or save your money for an awesome experience. And the next podcast episode that will be released is with the founder of Sarah Sanctuary, um, Society for Animal Rescue and Adoption, that's out of Texas. And it is this incredible animal sanctuary that I got to go to and spend time at. Um, oh my gosh, at the beginning of this month, time's going really fast. And no, they did not pay me to say this. Uh, I actually flew out there and I haven't flown in a long time and stayed in their barn which they're going to have rooms up on Airbnb and veg visits. And so picture this. You can either stay at the top portion of the barn and you walk out onto a beautiful patio and you can see like pigs and cats and dogs free-ranging, also horses and cows. Or you can stay in the bottom of the barn and be lulled to sleep by the sound of pigs snorting and fighting and snoring Um, and that's where I stayed and that's what I loved. So yeah, maybe save your money this year, you know, go somewhere, spend that money because you know, money, we exchange our time and energy, like our life for money, you know, so save that for you and go on an experience, go on an adventure, travel, do something that like really feeds your soul. Um, so if you are a vegan activist, you're an activist, you love animals, you know, give the gift to yourself or someone else of going to a really healing place and seeing animals, like, in a safe environment where they can really come through and be themselves, and it'll help you to do the same. Uh, Again, I was not paid to say any of that. I just had such an incredible time at Sarah Sanctuary, and Texas is usually not, like, first on my bucket list, but I'll definitely be going back for that. Um, So I'll put a link in the show notes where you can read all about them with the write-up that I did for Sanctuary Tour, my other podcast. You can book your stay. You can donate to them if you'd like to and learn more about their awesome work. All right. So without further ado, let's get into this awesome episode. You ready to get started? Yes, let's go. All right, Atulia, welcome to the Unruly Travel Podcast. Um, I'm so excited to have you on because, like I was just saying to you before we started recording, I have never uh, gotten to read a book and then talk to the author about it. And for the people listening, I kind of showed you, I always highlight and underline things in my books that I'm interested in or that really impacted me. And this time I get to go through all of that and ask the author questions. So I'm so excited to have you here. Yeah, and that's really, really special for me. That's like, um, yeah, that's every author's dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Can't wait. So you are the author of Dirt Witch, um, and you have a few other books which we can talk about too, but that's the one that I really wanted to hone in on today. You're a natural builder, an artist, all of these things, um, but could you give us a little introduction into you? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, well, I was a normal person once. 
in, yeah, until about, I was a teacher until about 2011. And basically, I bankrupted myself and, um, yeah, I ran completely out of money. And I, I just hit 40 and I burned out. I had a midlife crisis and all this kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I had, I couldn't stand to go back to teaching. I just couldn't bear it. And so all I had was uh, a little piece of land. How so happily I had that little piece of land mm-hmm. in Turkey um, on a mountainside. And so just to buy myself some time, I put my tent up on that piece of land. And um, I thought I was just going to stay there the summer, actually, and until I'd worked out what I was going to do in my head. Um, but I, as soon as, I, well, within, within a couple of weeks of being on there, everything began to change for me. And it was as though the land spoke to me. Uh, well, I, I feel the land did speak to me. And um, I just completely changed. And so I began to see everything in a very, very different light. And, and by, by two or three months in, I knew I was never going to leave. Um, I, I was just going to stay there. So that's, that's how it started. And that's the, the part that Dirtwich covers, isn't it? That, that first part. Yeah, and it, and it ends before you build um, a natural building. But when you're there, you're in the tent the whole time. And so there were so many topics that came up in your book that I was so interested in and that I, I feel like I also relate to. Um, you know, just being a couple years into living in a cob house and, you know, before that I was in normal houses. So it's so interesting this time of your life life back then I feel like I'm relating to now um and so yeah there's so many questions I have for you but before we get into them I have one question for you I like to ask my guests a surprise question and yours is if you were a type of tree which would you be and why or if you were a tree which type would you be and why yeah the first thing that comes to my mind when you said those I'd be an olive tree yeah um (laughs) you know they're kind of they're kind of they're kind of gnarled and and, <laughs> and um and and don't go in straight lines and very wriggly and and but they can handle the they can handle they can handle a drought they can handle the tough times and they give this fruit which on the face of it looks like a looks looks like a kind of like what's that for a gift you know this bitter little pip of a thing <laughs> but wow what uses that has <laughs> yeah um what that that olive has really and what you can do with it so yeah um that would be the tree i feel i am i don't i don't go in straight lines and um but i'm hard to eradicate and (laughs) (laughs) And you're very giving so there you go (laughs) and i feel like i am quite giving yeah (laughs) yeah so that's that would be the the tree of i feel i would be yeah, I love that. I was wondering, actually, after reading this, if that's uh, what you would choose. So that's interesting. Um, I, so I wanted to ask you, this wasn't on my question list, but it just came up. I feel like so many stories we read, it's like, I don't know, people in their 20s or whatever. They're like, you know, going off grid and they're making this big change in your life. But you did it, you said, in your early 40s, correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just turned forty. I was exactly on my in my fortieth year. You might hear me. Um, if you hear some clanking, it's because I'm, I have to keep feeding my fire every month. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, yeah, I was in my early forties, and um, it's funny though. Uh, 
I, f- I feel because I'm, I'm now 50 and mm. I feel like getting stronger not weaker it's quite interesting I feel I can do more now than I could then and I yeah it's interesting um, I'm not sure I, I know people actually in their 80s doing this yes <laughs> just best to show there's no limit <laughs> yeah and I mean just how physical you had to be you know with building different things and living off grid I mean I feel like you have to get healthier and more fit um Good. You, uh, your body adapts quite fast, though. I think. I think in the beginning, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. I said I'm stronger now. I really am because I know how to use my body so much better. Um, yeah, it's in the in the beginning, I was useless, but slowly but surely, you really, really learn like things like digging and how to move rocks. And to be honest, you know, there's a lot of store put on strength physical strength but mm-hmm. actually a lot of the time it's know-how it's kind of just knowing the way to do things rather than mm. uh, the the brute strength sometimes you need brute strength but a lot of the time it, you need to know the how more than um more than that mm, that's interesting i hadn't i hadn't thought of that but that actually makes a lot of sense and yeah, I can see you kind of started from this place where you didn't know a lot of things about what you were getting into. Um, and then we're pushed into learning, or you jumped into it yourself. But I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to put a shelf up. I really was not a DIY person at all. I'd never done any DIY in my life. Um, I had no clue about anything. No, nothing. So what was it? No wonder I survived, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> and thrive, I would say, on top of that, you know. I sometimes think knowing is, is a, uh, like how, well, not sometimes. I was a teacher, right? I mm-hmm. often think education is not helpful. Um, it's There are some things maybe which are helpful, but I was talking today, a guy's helping me here um, with my barn that I'm doing now. We were having a laugh about it, you know, Um. um about overthinking and, mm-hmm. and how, how many times it just doesn't work. Even the numbers thing doesn't work a lot of the time. How many times do you measure something or we measure something? You know, you measure it three times, cut once, and it's still the wrong size. You can't work out why. <laughs> Whereas oftentimes, if you just gave me that piece of wood and if I looked at it, I'd tell you where to cut it and it would be dead on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's intimidating if we have to think we have to measure it a certain length and... You know, it has to be perfect to work. That just freaks me out to begin with. I'd rather just look at it and be like, hmm, let's give it a good guess. Most times, this is all like a kind of indoctrination. (laughs) Doors don't have to be a certain height. I mean, things don't have to be dead level. Most of the time, it's rare. I mean, unless you're going to be playing bowls on your floor, then it doesn't have to be level, does it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We're not walking uphill all the time, but <laughs> basically, it it doesn't really matter that much. And so much of of the way um, building is done is this, is about creating this box, this very boring standardised box, which is designed for a six foot European male. Mm-hmm. Um, and every, the, the the one I'm doing now, I'm getting the same comments as I did in in the one in Turkey. It's like. But how are tall people going to fit in? I'm like, sorry, this isn't a house for tall people. It's a house for me. Yeah. yeah. And they can always just duck in, right? Sorry, they shouldn't come in. (laughs) I know that, um, you know, there's a lot. You you definitely talk about, like, gender in your book, so I know we'll get into that. But how did it feel as a 40-year-old woman, um, 
to be making such a dramatic life switch because I feel like when you're in your 20s or whatever, people encourage that. They're like, yeah, go do it. They're, they think you're exploring and figuring out new things. But then as we get older, we're supposed to just stick to whatever we chose. And especially women, I feel like, are supposed to stick to what they know and not try new things. And here you are, 40-year-olds old, like, I'm moving into a tent. Um, what was the reaction like? Yeah, it, it, I guess nobody who knew me would talk about it. It's all surprising. <laughs> oh, yeah, another mad thing she's doing. I guess I haven't followed the rules at all for so long. You see, I left the, I left the West um, when I was 26 and moved to Turkey, and I'd been living there 20 years. And Turkey, see, the many countries in the world, which in and of themselves are kind of not, they're marginal in a way. Everybody's marginal, except except a very small elite, perhaps, that live in the cities. Mm-hmm. So um, where, where I was in Turkey, there were no rules, actually. Well, there were rules, but they were all different rules. And because I had grown up in a different place in the West, I, I, I didn't buy into any of the rules. So so I kind of felt that I was living rule-free. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful way to live. And, it, and Turkish culture doesn't have this obsession with career or work. There's no work ethic. and pe- In fact, people will call you ambitious, and, and it, it's not a positive thing to be called ambitious. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's too hard. It's not, a, it's not like something people want to see. Um, in Turkey, what's important is relationships and family and that kind of thing, you know, your children, those things are important. So I was breaking the rules there as well because I was single, I didn't have kids, but <laughs> I was anyway, I was anyway a foreigner, so, so it was like, I was always half in and half out of everything, and I chose to live in very bohemian places where people were all, um, kind of non-compliant, kind of irregular people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so although, yeah, I suppose you're right in the West, that, and, and I get comments like that, actually, from a lot of people and women, too. Uh, somebody just wrote to me to say, you know, I'm 50-something, and I'm about to do this. It's a, uh, It feels really daunting at this age. I was thinking, that's strange, because I can see myself doing 10 more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was like, ah, oh, yeah, no, of course. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if you've been in the West all the time, that's a big deal. I can see that. But because I haven't, I, and I, tra- I was always traveling, and um, um, even when I was living in Turkey, I was going to India and other places, and Taiwan, and, and working in other places. So there was, there was no standard like that for me, I suppose. That was a big help. I see that now, but, but now I'm back in the West, and um, I really see that, that, ah, that was a big difference there. Yeah, I actually really liked reading about your experiences in Turkey, too, because, um, you know, every country and every, like, little microclimate and community is so different. I remember you saying that there's words in Turkish for things that, like, people whose native tongue is English, for example, don't even feel. Like, we, we don't have that word, and then we don't feel it. And I was wondering if you could share some of those things with us, because that was so intriguing to me. Yeah, and, it, it, yeah, and I remember when I first realized this, actually, when I, when I, cause I, because I, I'm fluent in Turkish, and I did really, really um, learn the language. It's my second language now, I'd say. Wow. But um, um, it was, 
there's a word huzun. I remember this word huzun. It means it's a kind. Of, well, you see, you can't translate it, but it's a kind of melancholy. It's a sadness. But when you use that word in English, it definitely has a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. It's not. Or many people would want to feel in English. Oh, I, I want to feel melancholy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a kind of sadness, and it's the kind of sadness. But in Turkish, it has a very poetic and and beautiful feeling to it, and it's a feeling that people quite like to feel. It's quite a valuable feeling. For example, mm. kind of they they often they will explain it as when the the leaves, the autumn leaves, are falling, mm-hmm. and. Um, and when the leaves fall, you get this feeling of what of summer's leaving and winter's coming, and there's a sort of loss, but there's a beautiful kind of value to the feeling. <laughs> it's very difficult to explain. <laughs> and what I what I realised after I'd lived there a long time was that I felt it. Mm. And now I really I think this is group consciousness. You um. You get plugged into a group consciousness, and then and then you share a kind of psyche with with a group, and that can happen in a couple, that can happen in a in a group of people, but it can also happen in a culture, and yes. um, yeah, that's why cultures are so important because they're all so different, and they're all sort of showing a different color and offering a different reality. Yeah, I mean, you what you've traveled so. Um, you probably have noticed similar things. Yeah, I've also noticed definitely, definitely exactly what you just said, and I've kind of noticed it in with words in other languages. Um, like if I've been in one place for a long time, then I'm like, oh, I don't know how to translate this into you know my first language. And so when someone asks you, it's like, how do you even say that? It's like this thing that doesn't even exist in your world if you if you you know don't know that word and you haven't been like immersed in it or immersed in that culture so it's so interesting are there other feelings that you started to feel that you um hadn't when you hadn't known the language so deeply yet certainly every single emotion there's not just one word so there'll be like at least two often three for to for different levels and different subtle kind of um uh, parts of it. So, for example, the word "missed." The Turkish people often say they miss you. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard it, I was like, "Wow, that's a bit intense." <laughs> <laughs> you don't really know that well, do you? But then I understood the different. There are um, different levels of missing, and um, mm. and so yeah, there's there's the the common word "miss," which which um, you know you haven't seen someone for a while. It's really nice to see him. Wow, I missed you. Uh, which we would never use in the West, really, because that would be far too touchy feely. <laughs> yeah, but then, um, but then you get there's an another word, hasretetmek uh, in Turkish, which is a deep missing. You know, that's when you miss your lover or, or mm. something really fundamental, um, or that's a, that's on another level. So most of the emotions have that, including love. Um, and and Turkish people often say they love you as well, which you kind of like, whoa, really? And then you. Have, Ah, actually, it's not that much of a big deal. <laughs> because they have different levels of love as well and different kinds of love. And there's, there's love, but platonic love and, um, and passionate love. And there's all different kinds of, of levels of it. And so what I understood was that, you know, in, in the, when you look at the dictionaries, the English dictionary is, is generally has a big lexicon 
-hmm. but it's all for exterior words. Mm -hmm. It's not for the world. The internal world on, is very, very bare in our language. Um, and I don't know whether that's naturally so or whether that's something that has been somehow been, been kind of brought in later on once we became, um, well, after the rational kind of revolution, let's say. But um, we're in Turkish, the internal and spiritual and psychic worlds are, that vocabulary is very, very rich. The word for soul, they have like four or five mm. different words for soul, and they're all different subtle bodies. It's, and we don't even know that kind of exists. Yeah. <laughs> yes. People just have to believe in a soul in the West, and I'm like, wow, there's only one word. In, in, yes. <laughs> anyway <laughs> oh my gosh that would not be a simple conversation at all because there would be so many different kinds <laughs> oh my gosh well I'm, one I'm so impressed that you you know got so deep into the language because I feel like if you go from such a barren one like English to that um there's so much to learn but I could totally see the benefits of understanding those words because you could connect with people so much more because you could be so much more precise with what you're saying and with what you're feeling which I, I think that's amazing and it's also I mean because we're the whole of the um the dirt witch thing and me going onto a mountain when you move off grid as you'll know as well it's stepping into a new reality and mm. most of the issues right now or what we're seeing is people unable to step into alternative realities yes not really understanding there are multiple realities um and and feeling they just have to work a drudge job and they have to do you know the only way you survive is if you're going to work in a job uh, where so you have a boss that pays you mm -hmm. that's what people most people believe and it's quite false and many many people in the world have never seen that reality yes. <laughs> uh, they don't even know that reality so um and, and yeah. the idea also the very arrogant idea of the west that that's better that that's yeah. actually more more um developed than say i don't know growing lemons is it really yeah. <laughs> exactly um, so yeah it's the learning a language is a kind of part of the same thing it's kind of entering different realities and I really find that fascinating yeah thank you for sharing that because I was like oh my gosh I, I want to know what some of these words are now like what are we what am I missing out on um that actually leads me to my next question for you because it's something that I feel like I'm just now diving into more and that you I feel like totally you know dove right into the pool and you know how to do it now can you talk to us about earth whispering what is it and how can people start to do it yeah this this I mean I had already been doing a lot of meditation right before mm -hmm. I moved on to my land so I wasn't going on a as, a, as somebody without any kind of spiritual resources. That was, in fact, my strength, I'd say, and that's probably what saved me. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, so I, I could already sit and meditate and feel around me. But, but what I wasn't expecting was actually to start hearing trees talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, right, uh, it, it was quite, it, 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 that I wasn't expecting. And um and rocks and 
and the land itself and feeling this incredible protection, which I also feel here, this um, insane protection of the land. Uh, when you come in as a, and you listen to the land and you, you connect with it, it just comes in to support you. Mm -hmm. The most incredible things. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I wasn't expecting. And really, with me, it, it wasn't something I planned at all. We see people often ask me, yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, well, you know, how did, how, did, how did you do that? It's all that. I thought, well, yeah, I didn't plan it. I, I was desperate, right? It was an act of desperation. And I'll bring this up because quite a few people are feeling desperate at the moment and, like, they've got to run somewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, for any given reason, and, um, and they think it's a terrible thing that's going to happen to them and it might just be the best thing that ever happened to them in my opinion because you you that's what that was what happened to me i didn't go there thinking oh i'm gonna go up to my land build a mud house and work earth whisper it's gonna be great i went up there thinking oh man i can't do my job and i can't i don't know how to earn any more money and i don't have any money what am i going to do i'm going to camp on my land and try and work it out i don't know what else to do mm -hmm. it was an act of desperation mm -hmm. and then within within weeks of me being there I suddenly felt completely different I'm like what on earth have I been doing my whole life why 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 do I think I have to work I don't need to work a horrible job I can just do for nature I mean there was quite naivety as as winter came and, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and I realized I couldn't quite survive in a tent for the whole year but um but nonetheless this um and and the health this is the other thing I think people who are working in the system don't realize is how bad that place is for your health mm -hmm. and how it's um, just sucking your physical and and your physical body is being attacked by numerous unhealthy things but and also your your soul is being attacked because most jobs are not very creative um, you become really your creative side becomes dwarfed and stunted and I see all the time people have completely lost their resourcefulness and their ability to kind of find solutions and create mm -hmm. and uh, that's what comes flooding back when as soon as you go if you the raw you go back into the nature the faster that comes because mm -hmm. that is who we are yeah who we are is nature who we are is creativity who we are is power. Um, the only reason we don't know that is because we've been sucked into a false narrative and we've bought into it hook, line, and sinker and then we've, we've, um, we've allowed ourselves to be completely and utterly polluted. But as soon as you pull up that pollution away, mm -hmm. wow, there you are. Uh, a powerful creative being who can do and who with, with the planet can create miracles really. Yeah, I always, uh, this kind of goes back to language, too, um, because I have realized, too, when I change my language, I change my feelings and my mind, and I feel like, you know, in English, um, and probably in the UK and the US, we, so, we call nature it, and we say, like, that, and we other nature from us, and we other, other animals from us, like, they're animals, we're humans, but actually we're animals and they're animals and we're part of nature um so i love that you said that because yeah that makes a lot of sense and there is such a healing when you get back to the earth um 
you know, and as you were doing in your book, you just basically started listening. Like you were asking questions and then you were listening. Like what did nature have to say? What did the trees have to say? And I think so many people are so scared to do that. Like, you know, yeah. is it, am I loony? Am I, you know, whatever, whatever that stigma is attached to it. Um, but it seemed like it really healed you a lot. Could you, if that's true, could you talk about that a little bit? Yes, it did. It, it definitely did. I mean, I, um, yeah, it really did in so many ways. Um, I think, well, as I mentioned, the creativity. I, I, I've always wanted to, to create, in fact. I love um, all kinds of art, really. Writing, I really wanted to write. Mm -hmm. um, it was inside me, and, and draw, painting as well. And uh, uh, the sculpting, of course, came came with the house but I, I love now I'm like oh wow I was, I, this was what I was born to do wow. in a way um, I came here to make these things but um, I didn't it was all very very kind of stifled um, until that point and so the one of the main healings was because I was suddenly thrust into this situation with not much stuff mm. I had creative fast and then seeing it, it gave me a confidence um, that I could create and so that was the first thing and it also killed one of the things that was uh, kind of an enemy inside me sabotaging me was perfectionism mm. now hey, I'm completely <laughs> but, but it, it taught me you know you're building a house you've got to get a roof over your head you can't be perfectionistic you've got to make you got to make the thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it sort of solved it for me, you know, that, that, that issue with perfectionism. And, um, but other things that, that healed was the disconnection, the feel, feeling, and feeling disempowered, in fact, feeling that you're not in control of your destiny. Mm -hmm. And some feeling very much that, that I was, um, and that, that I, ha I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. And that, and and I kind of realizing because I think I'd always felt, and I think so many people feel like this. That there's something wrong that the way the way most the way society is doesn't really fit, or it doesn't make you happy, and mm -hmm. and you, you doubt yourself. You think it must be me, or I'm d a depressed person, or you know it's something. Yeah, but I mean, so many people with depression. I'm convinced if they just left. That that world, that urban world behind, and walks into nature, that would it would go in an instant because you just don't feel that kind of uh, depression or that misery when you're in nature. You never feel it. It's very very. I mean, you can feel sadness at times. You can feel the, you know, grief when something dies. But it's not this lingering sort of um, soul gnawing kind of malaise. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm so glad that, you know, uh, I got to read your story, and I hope other people do too, because I do know a lot of people, um, you know, just in the normal grind of, normal grind, whatever you want to call it, the grind that a lot of people in the West are in, where it's work, come home to the square house, watch the TV, eat the boxed food, um, things like that, and after moving into the Cobb house that I now live in, that's, you know, off-grid and in the woods, I felt so much of my depression go away that I had battled with for years. And I thought, oh my gosh, at first I didn't realize it was due to where I was living or what I was doing. 
and then so it just hit me one day. <laughs> We're not. We don't normally feel like that, you know. And you also felt that, right? It just vanished, huh? Yeah. I mean, I still struggle with other things just because of you know different work that I do, like with animal rights or other things. But that part oh, that. No. That's a good point, though, Callan, because I, I actually got very more sensitive. So things yeah. like the ride really distressed me. I wouldn't. That that was something that actually got got more intense. I mean, yes. like you say about animals, and and agree, I agree. Um, it's it's very distressing, but for me, it's a different kind of feeling than that. What's the word? Low level kind of yes emptiness. <laughs> See, that's the darn English language again. We don't have the best words for it, but totally. I feel more sensitive to things, you know, like the state of the planet, the trees, the other animals around me. But I don't feel like that lost, kind of worthless, yeah, super low-level disconnect that I felt living in a, you know, whatever your typical house was, the typical schedule. Um Yes, yes. I'm sure some people, who, when they listen to this, will connect with that too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very... It's, I know lots of people who said to me, you know, as soon as they left the, the system, the work, the grind, whatever, they, they were magically cured of their depression. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, it is depressing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's been normalized, but it's actually... Travesty of human rights, really, what people have to or feel that they have to live. I, I don't think they do have to live that, but um, yeah, yeah. And that I should point out that you see isn't in part of Turkish culture that whole grind. I mean, mm. apart from Istanbul, no one else lives like that. <laughs> Which do you feel like people are less depressed there? It's, I mean, they have different issues, right? right. It's not perfect different issues but it's not it's not this it's not it tends not to be this low level meaninglessness thing mm-hmm. it's more static you know um oh heck the the whole economy's collapsed or um uh or we've just had a military coup it's you know it's kind of terror there's <laughs> <laughs> some different things to worry about different things to worry about i, I guess westerners might be, <laughs> might be starting to, to sense the same thing soon but um yeah so I, I wouldn't say it's all perfect i wouldn't say it, they, there's yeah that's what i notice everywhere i go it's not perfect mm-hmm. but there you can see certain trends and one of the trends is that 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 low level depression thing that's always in the background where people try and fill the fill the emptiness with with nonsense that's definitely um, related to the the kind of Western lifestyle, yeah, the go to work, live in a box, yeah, be surrounded by pollution, eat bad food, and um, yeah, yeah. I wish instead of asking like, what's wrong with us when we feel depressed, we ask, what's wrong with my situation? What's going on in my country or this culture or you know? Because yeah, so many times we blame it on ourselves, like we're not fitting in. But it's like, what are we trying to fit into? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and this is, it came up when you were talking about food, actually, um, because when you live off-grid, everything is so different with your food, and as so many of us know, food has such an impact on, obviously, your body, it's what makes up your body, and your life, and your mood, Um, and in your book, while you were, you know, living in your tent, you started gathering and I don't know if that was the first time that you had done it or if you just got into it more but 
you were talking about how it's like magic, how it's so special. Yeah, I'd never done it before. And um, it was because I started hearing the plants talk, and then I started reading later on. <laughs> but um, that's how indigenous people do it, and that's how, how they used to know which plants to eat. Yeah. And I heard the plants talking, and they were kind of calling me, and all kinds of things. But um, And then they start, I swear, and it's the same here, I swear, I, I, I start to say, oh, I love that plant, and then it would grow more the next year. There'd be a whole batch of it the next year for the, for, for the foraging stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love foraging because the plants, those foraged plants, rather than, I mean, I do grow my own, but the foraged stuff is, um, it's on a different level genetically. It has been played with. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the, the vegetables that we eat are hybrids of something, you know, they've been, they've been kind of cloned after a while. But the, the forage stuff hasn't. And so it's got stuff in it that for really ancient kind of goodness in it and mm-hmm. natural goodness in it that you might not find anywhere else. And, and I can feel that. And, um, yeah, the, but even growing your own. You know, the, the, I mean, once you've started eating your own vegetables, you can't. That, that, that supermarket stuff is hard to take, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it never tastes real again. <laughs> yeah, you realize how bad it is. And you can kind of taste anything. After you get So you can kind of taste anything that's not natural after a while. You're like, oh, I can taste plastic there somewhere. Or, oh, I can taste, I've got really hypersensitive about it now. And I realize just how, how polluted the rest of it is. And all that's going in everybody's bodies. And their bodies are creating their entire kind of world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so no wonder, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I love that you talked about um, foraging a little bit because... You know, I feel like it's, I don't even know, it's coming back in some way or people are getting interested in it again. But it's a practice that obviously has been around for such a long, long time. And um, it just seems like such a healthy one. So I'm, I'm glad that that's a topic of conversation now. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It has become suddenly quite popular. Um, yes, and really in Turkey, people were doing it because they didn't they didn't want to buy stuff. That was why they were doing it. It was it was never because of the reasons it is in the West. It was funny. So my neighbour who was showing me so many things, she she was doing it because she didn't want to buy yeah. anything. But that was the reason. Um, it was funny. Yeah, and then sometimes they would. That was also funny because sometimes she wouldn't tell me where they were. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of funny because she wanted to keep her own source yeah, you know, she wasn't going to tell me <laughs> that's so good oh my gosh I, I love the pictures that you include in the back of your book of the neighbors that you were talking about because it really brings it all to life um, <laughs> yes yes they're so sweet I mean I hope that people after listening to this they go and, and read your books because every sentence that you wrote I mean usually if it's like a true story I zip through it and yours I was like wow that sentence was so beautiful what magic just happened in that sentence I must read it again I need to go look at the face of this person that you're talking about so I can imagine it um so I hope people really go read it after listening to this with you (laughs) thanks thanks so much and and, um I wish I put more photos in now (laughs) yeah yeah well, I obviously will link your blog um, in the comments below so that people can go, you know, look at the home you live in now or look at your 
campsite and different things like that. Um, yeah, but that actually leads me to my next question, talking about campsites, because I've noticed this when I notice how much lacking I am in this area, actually. You know, you moved into this uh, tent, and then you had to build all these different things, and you were kind of talking about how, like, it was almost this club construction was that was guarded by men. Um, yeah. And you had to, like, kind of get your way in there, you know, and figure out the secrets of it. Could you speak to that a little bit? Like, why is it important for us to not just rely on men for these things? And yeah. how do you even start to learn? Like, if someone wants to start to learn construction, how can they start, um, you know, if they're not a man and they feel really intimidated? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and remember, I will repeat again, I had no clue. And I think it, it's not only men, we do, we do kind of exclude ourselves, but then certainly a lot of the time, um, quite helpful in that, yeah. <laughs> they help to exclude, but, um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, I get, it's, it's just, it's like an image that's in everybody's head, I suppose. And there is an idea that it's all about physical strength and 90% and of it isn't. Mm -hmm. Or about being fit, there's a big difference between being fit and being strong. Mm -hmm. And even with volunteers, like if I had any volunteers, I would take a small fit person over a big hulking massive person any day of the week because... Um, I mean, well, I say that so every now and again. You need a, you need one of these really big people like once a month, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and that's it. The rest of the time, you actually need energy and stamina and um mm. and and persistence. Like really, these these are the things that get you through. And I can tell you, I know plenty of guys here too, here in Spain too, who who don't make it, who don't manage it. And I know plenty of women who do. And that's not a criticism on people who make it or don't make it. Actually, I respect anybody who tries um, because it's not easy. Yeah. Uh, but, but, and it's, and it's so you'll learn something. At least if you try, you'll learn something, you know. And you might learn it's not for you. That doesn't matter. No mm -hmm. shame in that. Move on. But, um, but the, there's, I know plenty, yeah, I really do know people, men who, who didn't do it and women who've done an amazing job. And it's not, it's because it's nothing really to do with what people think it's to do with. Mm -hmm. You don't succeed because you're, you've got loads of strength and you don't succeed because you've got, you're an engineer. You succeed because you've got willpower, persistence, and, um, and yeah, and you, you need some physical fitness, obviously, mm -hmm. but you will get fit pretty soon. I mean, I really wasn't that, that fit, to be honest, when I first went on there. I was okay. I mean, I was, didn't have any debilitating illnesses, I suppose. But, mm -hmm. but uh, fundamentally, that wasn't, yeah, that's not what gets you through. You get, what gets you through is persistence, vision as well. I mean, some people, some people are naturally better at spatial awareness than others, and I do have that. I realize as I go through, I've got something that gets it, it mm -hmm. gets the construction process. But they're also understanding that it doesn't really matter whether you're male or female. No one really does this stuff alone. Mm -hmm. And you have to get in a pair of hands to help you. Well, not always, but sometimes you'll have to get a pair of hands in to help you. And why does that have to be your partner? Why? You know? Yeah. 
Why people are in their head, I don't know. Just go and hire someone for a day. I mean, it's a lot less aggravation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, your vision is yours. You get the house you want. You don't need to compromise. It's um, I I, I must admit, this is how I love to do it. This is yeah. I love alone. I, I love to be in charge of the whole process. And I do, I have a guy who, every now and again, he'll when I get stuck or something's too heavy, he comes to help me, you know, but mm-hmm. we have a laugh, but it's clear whose who's project it is, it's mine. Yeah. And that is how I want it to go. That, that Some people were better at working in, in, um, in partnerships than others, but <laughs> 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 not my I've got a very relentless vision. But um, what's going to get you through is the vision, the persistence, the the hard work, and also being able to organize yourself, um, you know, keeping yourself motivated. But probably the most important is going to be listening to your land. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That if you can connect with the nature around you, it's going to bring you every bit of help you need in the most incredible ways. And I've seen this twice now on two different pieces of land, so feeling pretty sure about it. Um, it's the same here, you know, same here. It just arrives. Help just arrives. It never seems to be difficult to find help if I need it. And mm-hmm. I actually really wanted to do so much of this alone, so I wasn't even looking for help here. But I noticed it's just very, very easy. So, um, yeah. no, women feel daunted at all they should know and if you go to my blog a lot of i show share a lot of stories of other women doing it too um and also men yeah there's, there's also men do a great job but i i am I, I share it a proper amount of of the women who do it you know i don't, um so there are plenty of examples of women of all ages making stuff happen and yeah. they together or they find people or they do it alone like me and then people turn up you know so many examples really it's very in fact I'd say with the natural building community it's almost getting to the point where it's more women than men in, in the natural building yeah and I think people don't realize that um you know natural building because I didn't really under even understand what that meant until a couple of years ago is its own community it's you know you have they, construction or whatever but um yeah, after living in a natural building and then visiting the Cobb Cottage and reading your book and just researching more, it's like it's a it's a whole other world. Um, it is. It's a nice community. Actually. Yeah. It's very, okay. And I I I'm gonna annoy some people now. <laughs> Do it. I like I like it better than the permaculture community. I think it's more. Um, uh, I think it it is more. Um, it's uh, more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, also from people from all over the world because natural building, once you get into it, you realize how each culture has these amazing ways of building natural homes. And so this, I'm fascinated by this. Is, I just love to go to another country and see how they're doing it. Um, and so here in Spain, the, the stonework is, is that's what they're just amazing mm-hmm. I've been doing stonework forever you know dry stone it's incredible whereas somewhere else like India they've got some incredible lime um, lime render and some beautiful mud homes they make there mm. and uh, there's all kinds of places all around. and the, in India they have a very very uh, uh, 
what's the detailed and well-preserved traditions. You think it's really interesting to hear about how they do stuff. So that's a, that's a really thing I like about the natural building community. It's, it's very diverse. Yeah, and it, it has so much history, and it really is all over the world. So I really hope that after listening to this or reading your book, or if people have been interested in alternative building and natural building that they'll like really try to get in there just to see what it's like because it's a whole nother world and it's like you said it's so interesting to see how people all over the world have been doing different natural buildings like it it amazes me and it's healthier living and it's often cheaper living and it's like this I don't know this secret that's not really a secret and you want more people to get in on it I, I don't know if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's a nice community, I agree. Yeah, so that's good. I, I like that you're, uh, you know, share stories, especially of other women, because I feel like, you know, age can be um, a factor to some people thinking, oh, I'm too old to do this, or gender, or whatever it is. So I really like that you have stories from all different types of people jumping in and going off grid and, you know, jumping into the natural building world. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So back to my list of questions for you that I took right from the book. Um, you talked about at one point that people have forgotten how to be alone. And obviously you've talked about how you've wanted to do some of these projects by yourself. And, you know, you moved onto a piece of land in a tent by yourself. So you were, it seemed like you were looking for some aloneness, but... Yeah, what was your relationship with being alone, and how did it change? Yeah, that's how did it change? You may, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I think what what happened was I, I, I felt a sense when I was on that land. I felt it wasn't just a sense of connection, but a sense of fullness. Mm. Uh, I sort of felt complete. I felt really loved and I felt really accepted for who I was, which I think in the mainstream world is very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. People don't accept us as we are. And maybe we don't accept other people. So yeah. <laughs> I'm perfect. But yeah, we're all a bit judgy and, and there's all these <laughs> ideas going around. And, um, and, um, and so you're always trying to fit in somehow or thinking you have to do things to be acceptable. And in nature, you don't. It doesn't care anything. It really doesn't care. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it doesn't care about how many likes you've got on Facebook. It doesn't care <laughs> about if you're rude or polite. It doesn't care about anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't care if you're clean or dirty. Um, it just it's it's irrelevant, and that's that's such a, a liberating feeling. And then it makes you realise how really most of the time, sadly, humans can't really offer that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, that kind of unconditional love, really. They can't offer it. Um, and so that's, I felt so content and so complete in that world. I kind of didn't really, I, I kind of lost interest <laughs> in, the, in the human world. I'd say now it's, it, there's been a shift since I left Turkey and I came to Spain. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, I, and I worked more on my blog and, and my writing and connecting with people in that way. And I started to meet much, many more like-minded people, I think, really, mm -hmm. who are on the same page. And then I started to feel a bit differently. Um, and that it, I found conversations more interesting, like mm -hmm. this one, 
mm-hmm. <laughs> it becomes more more fulfilling. Um, so I think that that made me feel a little bit differently. And now I think I have a lovely community online. At least I really enjoy my work so much, um, and the people I'm with. I find it really really interesting. And again, a, a, a real mix of people and. Yeah, it's um and, and beautiful men too, you know, really mm-hmm. um who support um and women who support really um nice communities. So so now I don't feel quite as as, as um when I was there, I I'd, I'd really had enough of people yeah. actually, and that really the the contrast with how I felt on the land felt enormous. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just felt so accepted. Yeah, it was a beautiful feeling. Yeah, I think people think that being alone is a bad thing, like, don't want to be alone, oh, she's alone, or whatever, um, which, it, it doesn't need to be a bad thing, and also, when you're in nature, like, I, I, I think you spoke to that, and I don't, I feel this way too, I don't feel, like, alone, you know, there's birds, there's trees, there's rocks. Don't feel alone, because we're not. We're not. That is the actual truth. The only reason we would think we're alone is because we've been educated out of, of the truth, which is that everything in nature is alive and sentient and communicating. Mm-hmm. So we're not alone in nature at all. You really definitely know it um, quite quickly. Everything's kind of speaking to you, connecting with you, communicating with you. And the, the things like, you know, as soon as you, I walked on this land and kind of moved here, well, animals know, and they kind of like they realize there's free food going, and yep. they start coming around, and <laughs> they, and they they definitely connect. Like there's a mouse right now in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Horse is always one, and um and I I it's being cute. It's being yeah. cute to get. I swear, it's looking at me. It's not like it should run away when it sees me, and it's already worked out. Obviously, that I'm soft. And, um, mm-hmm. and so you just sit there looking cute, hoping to get something. <laughs> yeah. You know, we actually had um, mice, uh, a, a mom mouse had baby mice in my drawer, I realized one day. And so we made an agreement, and I said, you can stay in here till your babies grow up, and then we're going to have to relocate you. Um, yeah, we do make them gross. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we know they're going to be eating the food, and we have a rabbit, and he doesn't like other people in there. Um, and so after the mice left, then a snake decided to come in. So we just call him Frank, and, and he just comes in from the outside and watches us, and then he leaves. And that horrifies people, but I feel like once you, I don't know, you just feel more connected and, and closer to nature and able to communicate better. It's like, oh, he's just coming in and going out, like no big deal. Yeah, and you kind of like get, get, they become like your friends and you like get, you miss them and they're not yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I start looking around and I'm like, I haven't seen Frank in a while. And, and yesterday I had this picture of him like slithering on the outside of the house. So I put it up in the house just so he felt welcome. You know, if he came back in and he saw it. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded by spiders all the time. It would horrify people. Like they're all over this, where I'm sleeping. It would horrify people. But they, yeah, it's, I, and I didn't feel like this before. I, I was, I was just as terror. I mean, in the book I wrote, how terrified I was of snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was terrified of definite and scorpions and all kinds of things. And by the time I left there, it was uh, actually, I had, yeah, I mean, scorpions, I ha- I got stung by one. That was interesting. Experience. And um, I got stung twice, but by one one happened 
it was in the night and um uh it was about midnight and i just i was sleeping outside and i had had a i was sleeping on a platform outside in the fresh air and i just rolled over and went ow <gasps> felt something on my arm wow it stung and i sat up and i was like oh no i've been stung by a scorpion um what's gonna happen am i gonna die and uh, Oh, and the moment I kind of knew about scorpions in Turkey aren't generally lethal, but um, you can have an allergic reaction. I am pretty allergic, so I, uh, I, f- I phoned a friend. It was midnight, and they were all down. They were down in the valley because it was like a beach resort down in the valley, and they were they were like I could hear them all dancing. And I go, Yeah, you coming out? You can't say no. I've been stung by a scorpion. <laughs> And, um, and um, they said, I said, I just need you to call me back in half an hour and check that I'm still alive. Well, in this half an hour, I went back and I, to the bed and I found the scorpion. And I still alive. And I put it in a jar and I set it free in the, in the garden. And then I, and I started to feel really good. <laughs> <gasps> what? I feel really, like, loved up. It was really, like, And um and then my friends phoned back in half an hour, you're right. And I was like, Yes, yes, I'm fine. Wow. <laughs> and I went to bed and I thought, yeah, I don't care if I don't wake up, who cares? Because <laughs> <laughs> you were feeling so good. I had two days of this euphoric feeling. I felt like the the scorpion blessed me or gave me a kind of like a Yeah, it was beautiful. It was interesting. Yes. I, yeah, like, that's so interesting because I think people have all these fears like if I live off grid or I live in a natural building or whatever if I sleep outside I'm gonna get bit or stung or something like that and right? snakes and insects is a big deal for a lot of people and it was yes. for me too in the beginning before I, I got used to it it was was in the beginning I was worrying about that yeah um, I think it is a massive deal and a massive inhibitor, uh, yeah, yeah. for people. Um, but in fact, it's, after you've done it, been there a while, you realize it's another one of these things we've been trained into believing, which is completely false, you know, because of horror movies and all of this stuff. Yeah. These are just, just beautiful and they don't, nothing attacks you for no reason. Yes. You know, it's nothing you never see it when you think about compared to people like animals are just never attack you for no reason they're just especially i don't know i just never ever feel because we have wolves here where i am in spain mm-hmm. and people always are saying aren't you afraid of the wolves i'm like no i'm never afraid of them why would they they're not gonna i mean they no it's interesting they yeah. well, the more connected with the nature you realize no harm really comes from nature if you're respectful and if you know the rules yeah. Um, I think, of course, people do. People have problems because they don't know the rules and they don't respect. Mm-hmm. So you see this a lot. People don't respect, and then and then um, and then nature just teaches them a lesson, basically. <laughs> yeah. it happens, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I've had multiple people tell me, oh, like, I could never do this because I got bit by a snake once or I got stung by blah, blah, blah. And I always say, well, what were you doing? And they said, well, I was trying to, like, attack them or mess with them or whatever. And I'm like, well, I mean, there's your reason. That's why you got bit or stung or whatever it was. Yeah, 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 it's always. They're always showing off, you know, another one. It's disrespectful. 
as soon as that that respect is lost nature comes in and says all right then i'll teach you yeah. <laughs> here you are having a euphoric um response to getting stung by a scorpion over here oh my gosh so beautiful yeah it really was yeah yeah wow just goes to show yeah, it kind of reminded me of stinging nettle because um, when people yeah. walk through it in our woods, they're like, ah, no, I have this thing, it's itching, it's stinging. And I know that it's actually really good for you. Um, and right. some people come and rub it on their skin where other people are freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? So that kind of reminded me of your scorpion story, actually. Now when it gets on me, I'm like, yeah, this is good for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's, it's, I think once you get into the zone of that being connected with nature, then it's a different ball game anyway. It's just, um, everything's kind of, it's like dogs know, don't they? They sniff and mm -hmm. they know if you're, they can tell your character. And um, it's the same with all animals. They know. That's why that mouse is being cute with me. It knows. <laughs> yeah. It knows. I'm softy and so it's, it, might, it might get something. They, they're working on another level, not a linguistic level. They sense um, things in another way, and they totally know. Yeah. Yeah, because they, they don't have this disconnection from their intuition like I feel like a lot of humans do. And I think people think they can't get back to that connection with their intuition, but I don't think it ever really left us. I think we're just disconnected. That's it. It's never left us. We, everybody has that. Everybody's, everybody's come from nature, and it's in our DNA. Um, it's it's sitting there just... just, just it, in fact, it's there, but it's... In fact, what it is, is it's mental pollution. So people have got so many thoughts running through their head that they, um, they can't distinguish between an intuitive thought and the rest of the rambling, which mm -hmm. is mostly conditioning and stuff that's coming in from the media and worries that are being placed in their head and comments that people are making. So it's not, they're never really theirs. Their thoughts are not their own. Mm -hmm. Our thoughts our own for the most of the part because they're they're always coming from some some somewhere outside and um that's what's caused it and, and you were asking about earth whispering i actually made a course and it's 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 um an earth course which you can link to because it's tier, the the pricing is is tier based so it's, you can get it very very cheap i think for like 15 bucks if you don't have any money yeah and um and if you still still haven't got fifteen bucks, message me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But it it goes that course explains how I go through how you can reconnect with that intuition, reconnect with your um, your Gaian self, your actual larger, more powerful, connected self, and um, how to do that. And, and it's actually not very difficult. It's not something I think that takes any time at all. It's a, mm. it's like flicking a mental switch. Mm. And in nature, it makes it a lot easier because nature is already functioning on that level. So you just kind of slip into it. Mm, I love that because sometimes in my head when I feel really disconnected, I'm like, oh, this is going to take me forever to get back to my intuition or my connection or whatever you know people want to call it. So I love that you kind of put made that imagery that it's like a switch, you know? You can get back yeah, in there and get clear. Move into one room and then you move into the other. It feels, I mean, I can move into the into the small room again sometimes. I, I feel that and then I remember, oh, hang on, I'm in the wrong room. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> get back out. Get outside. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I love that about your book because I, the 
mental images are so helpful for me and you describe them so vividly um, in Dirt Witch. But I think that you also had a part, correct me if I'm mistaken, where you were talking about like how, you know, different thoughts get into our own head and, um, you know, like you were just saying now. And I think that in the book you were saying like you were, it was like almost this knight was beside you or this person and you were kind of slaying them. And that was the intrusive thoughts. Yes, you always can prove it wrong. It's always wrong, that voice. That, yeah. that negative, diminishing voice is always wrong. It wouldn't mind if it was right half the time, but it isn't. Yes. <laughs> it's never, ever right. I love the never idea of it. seeing it as like another human or something that you kind of take down and push out of the picture. That's it. I, yeah, I did. I slayed it, I think, didn't I? Yeah, you did. <laughs> I think I threw something at it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I got to remember that one. That's a good one for me. I'm going to do that. And my other question for you was, you said at some point in the book that the earth is just waiting for humans to shine again. Um, do you still feel like that's true? Do you feel like the earth is kind of waiting for us to return home like how do you do you still feel that that's true i think wow that's a superb question <laughs> um let me just check in with that yeah i think the the we are starting to shine mm-hmm. um I think, I really do think that. I think despite everything that people think, the reason it looks terrible right now is because people have woken up. Mm -hmm. It was always like this. I've been saying this since the beginning of what's been going on. It's always been like this. Mm -hmm. People wouldn't notice. They just didn't notice. And now they're waking up. And so I think we're already starting to shine. That When you first start to see it's not working, it's like when I first realized I could not do that job anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so many reasons. And it felt desperate because I thought that was the only way to survive. And then I was pushed into a corner and what do you know? The whole world opened up. Actually, I was pushed out of one reality and into a way bigger, better, more beautiful guy in reality. I was pushed into Gaia. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what I'm seeing is that's happening to a lot of people. Not everybody maybe, but a heck of a lot more than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that people are sensing how bad things are is because they are waking up. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Because it was always, this. it's always been terrible. People have been, like, all around the world, think about it, 10 million people starving every year. What the heck mm -hmm. is this, you know? The forest being cut down. What the heck is all that? What All the way the animals are treated, the farming. The, uh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> this is all gone. It's awful. Now people are seeing it. Wow. And they're feeling desperate because of it, and they're going to get pushed uh, into the arms, if they choose, if they allow themselves to be pushed into the arms of Gaia, mm -hmm. into the planet, with the planet, and really start hearing the planet. For whatever reason it is, a lot of people are moving mm -hmm. into rural areas, into nature, to live that life, and they will automatically kind of be awakening, I would say, in that environment, um, because it's very, very easy to wake up when you're 
in that environment. Mm-hmm. And then many change. So um, really, I think that time that I was talking about is kind of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that time is now, really. And yeah, that's, that's what I think. So it looks grim. It looks dirty because we're seeing actually the truth of what it always was. Yeah. Um, seeing the ugliness of what, <laughs> what was always there, I guess. And yeah. hopefully we'll be brave enough to change it. <laughs> Yep, for sure we will. Yeah, for sure we will. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I have no doubt about that, actually. I, um, we, I think what's, when you, sh- you kind of, when, when humans shine and when mm-hmm. they reconnect with the planet, they create with the planet. So they, that's what they do. They create new realities. Mm. And People are the are going to start doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And it's very powerful when you do it from that place. The way because it it, it trumps the other realities. Um, the way people the the three D way of creating things like like I was talking about the measurements, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, put one space step in front of the other, and you do this, and you make a plan, and you go that way of doing things. Uh, is not as powerful as the co-creating with the planet way of doing things. Um, so that means that that old kind of system doesn't really have a chance if if enough people wake up. Yeah, yeah, I, I do feel like that's that's happening too. It's like moving into this more intuitive way of going forward. And you can obviously see that even with people, you know, taking your courses in building houses. I mean, just the way natural building, just the way it works is like intuitive and um, listening to nature, listening to the land that you're building on. So I love seeing all these different ways that we can see that that's actually happening. And everybody's got a different, um, we were sort of talking about that with the art, right? Everyone's got a different thing, role to play. And it's so easy to get into this idea of should, and that's, that's, that there's no should you you in nature when you're really connected to nature you do what you want that's, yeah that's the revolution you do it yes and i feel like you make it so accessible because on your website obviously you share a lot about natural building you have a pdf on how to build an earth bag house um all these different things and i think you have through the books you have inspiration to get people going so yeah thank you for making that more accessible to people because i want people to find that too it's just like something you you i feel you do an incredible job of explaining but i sometimes am lost for words when i'm like how do i explain this yeah no sure it's it's um yeah yeah no it's not not everything can be explained in words can it it's um mm-hmm. yeah Yes, so we will uh, share all of your links for anyone who's interested. Um, but is the blog where you are most active, or what do you want to point people to? Well, um, really, if you want to stay the best in contact, get on one of the email lists that I've got. I mean, you can just sign up for the blog post if you if you if you prefer, or you can get the the free PDF. But if you're on one of my um, one of my email lists, I can stay in touch. And uh, not very active on social media anymore. So, uh, yeah, the 
that's uh, my blog. If you go to the Earth Whispering blog, that's yours. I post there every month. Uh, my latest ruminations, <laughs> ruminations on anything, <laughs> and um, yeah, and that, that's that's basically it. So, look forward to connecting with anybody. Yay! Thank you so much. Make the world a better place by leaving things better than I found it. You know, whether it be people or the planet or, you know, all kinds of things. Isn't there a quote that says, feel fear and do it anyways? Yeah. 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 So I think for us in significance, we have to do it ourselves. A lot of people are doing things in their life that they're not completely happy with mm -hmm. and they're doing it just because you know it's a norm and they feel like they feel pressured by society definitely or they're just you know stuck in this rut mm -hmm. and you know ruts can be comfortable for people and they can be very comfortable comfort is not how you how you grow as a person <laughs>